0: Acts chapter 1. We are continuing in our series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're trying to do over the next few weeks, okay? Over the next few weeks, we're going to try to develop a theological understanding of what it means to operate in the power of the Spirit. That's what we're looking to do. What does it mean and what does it look like To operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to kind of be unfolding over the next few weeks. And today's paramount and foundational for that. Because today we're talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Being baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. We can also call it spirit baptism. That's our topic. What is it? What is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Do I have it? Why should I care about it? And how do I get it? What does it mean for me in the world, the glory of Jesus Christ? That's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about. So let's pray now and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we rejoice this morning that you are the great shepherd of our souls and that you are the great shepherd over this church. You're our senior pastor. We're really thankful as our senior pastor, you've led us into the study this summer, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that, Lord. That's good with us. We're excited about that. We have to admit that there is a sense of expectancy and hope and wonder, and at least in my heart. And we want to say together now that all of that expectancy and hope and wonder are placed in you, Jesus, and who you are. And what you want to accomplish. And your glory and your fame and your gospel going forth. We want to say together, it's not about us. It's about you. And we're thankful, Father, for the person of the Holy Spirit. For the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who you pour out upon the church. And it changes everything. We just ask that today that wouldn't be lost on us. That you would stir in our hearts a sincere and right hunger. For the person and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Pray that it would all be wrapped up in the glory of Christ and not our own wants or agendas or desired experiences. Lord, we pray over our preconceived ideas about the person and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, the strange stuff we've seen that we're not sure about and the deadness that we've experienced that we know is not right. And we're just thankful that your word is balanced, that Christ, you can be trusted To lead us into healthy, fruitful places. Thank you that you're concerned about our individual church and you're going to roll out and unfold and manifest the Spirit here in a way that's perfect for us. We trust you with these things. And we trust you to anoint me today, Lord. I can't do this in and of myself. I'm inadequate, I'm unworthy apart from the cross. We ask together that you would anoint me to speak your truth, and we ask together that you would give us ears that would hear and a heart that would drink deeply of your truth. and Give us grace to respond to it in a way that brings Jesus great glory and furthers your mission here in the coastlands and to the nations. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Without a doubt, The greatest promise ever made to the world is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. That is the greatest promise statement given to the world. We might say, that the greatest promise or statement ever given to the church is found in Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That first statement made to the world was about Jesus. The second, given to the church, was made by Jesus. The first has to do with being made new, regeneration. The second has to do with being made effective, unction. And both of these are absolutely necessary for the Christian life. The first is the means by which we become Christians. The second is the means by which we live faithful and fruitful Christian lives. The first has to do with us putting our faith in Jesus Christ, The second has to do with us being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first results in and is to be made evident through water baptism. The second results in and is evidenced by power. It's spirit baptism. Now, how are we to think about this? How should we unfold this biblically? Perhaps a good place to start is way back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke where we find John the Baptist in the midst of his ministry. And it says in Luke 3, John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He was talking about Jesus. And then we have at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in the closing chapter, Jesus saying this to his disciples. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father. And you are to stay in the city, that is Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. So at the beginning, John says there's one coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says at the end, wait until you receive this power of the Holy Spirit. Now at the point that Jesus said that to the disciples in the closing chapter of Luke's gospel. The disciples were already converted. They were believers. Okay? They trusted in Christ. That's evident in many ways, but one is in John chapter 20 verse 22 where Jesus after the resurrection appears to them and breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." What's taking place there is the Holy Spirit is coming into them for the first time, okay? Breathe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming in to them. I want you to grab onto that preposition, in. The Holy Spirit at that point is in them. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to be regenerated, born again, made brand new, saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And one cannot be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit is in them. In fact, you become a Christian when the Holy Spirit is in you and takes up residency there, okay? And that happens through faith directed at Jesus and his finished work and repentance with regards to our sins. Through faith and repentance, but a faith in Jesus, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit in us. Now, evidence of this is Paul, in Romans chapter 8, speaking to Christians with regards to the Holy Spirit in them, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you are a Christian, if you're born again through faith and repentance, you have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit in you. But, now follow me here, but there is a second work of the Holy Spirit, a second experience of the Holy Spirit for Christians. And that is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He is in you, child of God, but he is also to come upon you. And that is the experience that we refer to as the baptism of or baptism with or baptism in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples who already had the Spirit in them at this point, Luke twenty four forty nine, which I alluded to, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. You will be clothed with power from on high. And then in their text before us, Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." Now this upon experience is the second work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's not the inexperience, it's separate and distinct from. Again, to be clear, the inexperience of the Holy Spirit has to do with salvation, regeneration, conversion. It makes us Christians, sons and daughters of God. The upon experience of the Holy Spirit has to do with power, enabling, filling. It makes us faithful and fruitful Christian witnesses. Jesus said that the result of being filled baptized with the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism, however we want to say it, would have to do with our effectiveness in being witnesses. Again, Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. So, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is necessary and vital for faithful and fruitful Christian living, witness, and mission. So much so that Jesus forbade his disciples from partaking in the Great Commission until they had received power from on high. Until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see that now in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. And gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait For what the Father had promised. The promise of the Father. Which he said, you've heard of me. You've heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's where we get that phrase. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. The issue here, according to Christ, is that of being witnesses for Christ. Okay? He says, don't even attempt To be a witness for me until you have the power from on high. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Yes, He's in you, but He must come upon you. Don't do anything until you have that. Now, there are three components to being a witness for Christ number one, to exalt Christ. Number two, to live a holy life. And number three, to be on mission. Okay, those are the components of witnessing. It's not just one of the three. You need all three of those to be a faithful witness. You exalt Christ in your life. You live a holy life to exemplify who he is. And you're on mission with him for his glory. That returns us to the paradigm that we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks. It's helping us to understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In our first study a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about who the Holy Spirit is. If you want to know who somebody is, get to find out what they're passionate about. And if we look at Scripture, we find out that the Holy Spirit is passionate about Jesus, holiness, and mission. And then last week with Pastor Chris Laza, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. What generally, there's a lot, but what generally does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he's always going to be manifesting and moving the church and the world toward his passions. Jesus Holiness and mission. So the Holy Spirit is always seeking to work in our life the exaltation of Christ, the living out of holiness, and the mission of Christ. That is faithful witness, those three things. Now, these three things are radical because we see that when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, everything changed forever. Let me say it again. When the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, everything changed forever. I'm referring to the day of Pentecost here before us in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is one of the days of, one of the names of the ancient Jewish feasts. It's also called Shavuot. We can read about it in Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, and elsewhere. It's one of the ancient Jewish feasts where all the Jews would go to Jerusalem to celebrate it, once a year. And it was at that time that the disciples were gathered together waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. It happened to happen on the day of Pentecost. Okay, this is what we refer to with Pentecost. We'll read the account now and we'll see how radically things changed. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Okay, the first thing that we get is this is not normal. Okay, not normal. Verse four, what's happening? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you'll be baptized in the Spirit. The description of it is that they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can use both phraseology, but there is some nuance that we'll bring out next week. Generally, we use baptism for the first time and then subsequent fillings. That's for next week. But what's going on here is things are not normal. There's wind, there's fire, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It gets better. And then they begin to speak with other tongues. Speaking in tongues. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered, because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Because it was Pentecost, there are people gathered from all sorts of different places to Jerusalem to celebrate. They've got different languages and a miracle happens. disciples are speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit's come upon them, and they're all hearing it in their own language. This is crazy. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? It's the same question we're asking this morning. What does Pentecost mean? But others were mocking and saying, ah, they're full of sweet wine. This was so, like, crazy. There's people saying, ah, they're drunk, they're borracho. Verse 4, but Peter. Now this is, when it says but Peter in Acts chapter 2, this is a different Peter. This is now Peter full of the Holy Ghost. But Peter, taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. That was 9 a.m. It's only 9 a.m., man. We're not borracho. He says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. This had been foretold a long time ago. And he now goes on to quote a portion of the minor prophet Joel chapter 2. He begins by saying, "In and it shall be, excuse me, in the last days. Okay? So now we have from this account here a fresh definition of the last days. The last days are from Pentecost until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, because that's when this is being fulfilled. And the end of the fulfillment, as you'll see in a moment, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Pentecost has already happened. The second coming has not happened. That means we live in the interim period. That means we live by definition, biblical definition, in the last days. What about the last days? And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is recounting here through the prophet Joel that in the last days, in the age of the church, these things are to be expected, seeing visions, dreaming dreams, and prophesying. Prophecy is to be normative. It's to be expected, heard, and heeded, tested, and approved within the church. Verse 19, now this part happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ as revealed in Matthew 24 by Jesus Christ. So this is yet future fulfillment. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what that was was Peter's intro to his Pentecost sermon. This is Pentecost Pete. This is a different Pete. Okay, and that's the intro to his sermon, and then he goes on to preach this incredible sermon. Much shorter than one of mine, much shorter than one of Chris Lazo's, but it's incredible. But we won't take the time to read the whole thing right now. We're going to pick it up at his conclusion. That was his intro. Now we'll get his conclusion starting in verse 36. Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified, he said to them. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, water baptism, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Everything changed when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Peter went from denying Christ, remember that? To proclaiming Christ. To being afraid of confessing that he was with Christ. Remember the night that Christ was betrayed? One of the servant girls there in the, in the area said to him, weren't you with Jesus too? And it says that he began to curse and swear, saying I was not. What that means, it's an idiom for saying he began to say something like this. May God kill me and damn me if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus. Peter went from that to radically, boldly proclaiming the risen Christ, from being afraid of a servant girl questioning him to standing before all of Jerusalem proclaiming him. That's Holy Spirit unction. Same with the disciples. Where, Where were the disciples when Christ was crucified? All but John fled, fearing for themselves in light of the cross. But after the Spirit came upon the church, every single one of them, except for John, were martyred for preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. This is radical, and explicable spirit change. Everything changed when the spirit came upon the church. Power from on high. The world was never the same. Now what's interesting for us to realize is that the same is true for Christ incarnate. When Christ came in the flesh having surrendered some aspects of his deity, being fully God, yet fully man, he too was reliant on the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we read in Luke chapter 3 that when Jesus was near John the Baptist during his ministry, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. Same language, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and that's when he began his ministry is when the Holy Spirit came upon him. But there was something else that happened at that moment. We're told in Luke chapter three that a voice came from the Father in heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. Now modeled after Christ, those are two issues that every Christian who intends to live life on mission must get settled the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, the enabling, the empowering, just as Jesus had to be full of the Holy Spirit, and the in experience which settles the identity issue once and for all. Jesus began his mission with an empowering and an affirming. He received the power of the Spirit and the affirmation of the Father. The Holy Spirit is in the Christian calling us to cry out, Abba, Father, bearing witness with our spirits that we are the sons and daughters of God. Identity. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us for empowering. And then we move forward into the world on mission. That is a model that we see in Jesus. And the ministry that he did, as powerful as it was, was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was incarnate. The power came from the Spirit upon him. He said, if I cast out demons, I do it by the Spirit of God. Same power that's given to the church. And if the Son of God, Christ incarnate, who was without sin, was in need of the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more are we whose sins are many? A lot. Amen. Now, here's the deal. I want you to listen very carefully, please. I'm going to repeat myself. There is the Holy Spirit converting us in, and then there is the Holy Spirit filling us upon. Two separate and distinct experiences for the Christian. Now, listen. Every Christian, as I said, has the Holy Spirit in them. For salvation, for new life, conversion, regeneration. You're not a Christian without the Spirit in you. Listen, not every Christian has yet had the Holy Spirit come upon them for empowering, enabling, filling, unction, faithful, fruitful living. But that experience is available for every single Christian. Not all have had it yet. Let me show you this in the book of Acts, okay? You don't don't take my word for that. Let's see this in scripture. Now we've already seen here in Acts 1 and 2 that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and the disciples. And we already know that they had been previously converted. In John chapter 20, 22, Spirit is in them. Now the Spirit comes upon them, as Jesus said. There's a separation between those two events. We see this happening again in Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8, if you would. Acts chapter 8. Here we have some believers in Jesus Christ who were converted under the ministry of Philip sometime earlier. And then we read in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptism. Then the disciples began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism. They had already been converted, the Spirit was in them, but he had not yet come upon them for power. Separate, distinct, some time in between. We see it again in the next chapter and the life of Paul, believe it or not. Okay, so in Acts chapter 9, Paul gets knocked on his rear end on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him, deals with his life. He's going to change it from a persecutor to a great apostle. Just knocked my Bible, silly. And then here in Acts chapter 9, we read this in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, a vision. Normal biblical stuff, a vision. Ananias, and he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. Good response. Verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. Not the Judas you're thinking, different Judas. For a man from Tarsus named Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul, right? Paul the apostle. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and arose and was baptized. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 19, if you'll turn there, with some believers, some disciples, some followers of Jesus up in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 Verses 1 through 6. This is 20 years after Pentecost. And it came about that while Paulus, verse 1, Acts 19, came about that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples, okay? Believers in Jesus. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? His very question shows us that sometimes you can believe, be converted, and not have received the filling of the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then? Were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Water baptism. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Spirit baptism. Here is what is abundantly evident. That sometimes people are born again, converted, regenerated, saved the Spirit in them, but they don't receive the fullness of power. The Spirit upon them until a later time. Now, let, let's think about that. What, what if this experience hadn't been given? What if, what if Peter and John hadn't gone to Samaria to pray for those new converts? What, what if Ananias had refused to go to Paul? What, what, what if Paul hadn't gone to the church in Ephesus here? What if the disciples hadn't obeyed Jesus and waited in Jerusalem until they received power from on high? What would have happened? Well, they would have still all been Christians, but there would have been a weakness to their Christianity. It would have been a truncated, frail, sort of emaciated Christianity. Not the fullness of what the Father had for them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would have never been the Paul that we remember today, the Apostle Paul. A weak, truncated, emaciated, less than ideal Christianity. And my brothers and sisters whom I love, this is the situation of many Christians today. They wonder why their Christianity feels that way. And they think that maybe it's an issue of simply trying harder. It is not about trying harder. It's about receiving more. The filling of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not about us having more strength on our own. It's about us receiving strength from on high that changes the world. Now, sometimes, these two things, the in and the upon experience, do happen at the same time. Sometimes you're saved and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and it just happens. We see that in Acts chapter 10, if you want to turn back there. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching to some Gentiles in Caesarea. These will be the first Gentile converts And it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, water baptism, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, spirit baptism, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this instance, according to the sovereignty of God, the conversion and the filling, the in and the upon happened at the same time. So here's what we're all wondering. How do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Consider this example from a young man in our church. Okay, he he wrote this out. I'm just going to read it to you. This is his words verbatim. He says, I grew up in the church all my life, but was saved around 19 or 20 years old. I know I was because my heart came alive for the first time to those things I heard all my life. When a friend led me through a month-long Bible study of Philemon, can I just say as a, as a footnote, Philemon is only one chapter long. They spent a month in the thing. You better get saved. He continues So I would say that my desires and allegiances changed at this point. But for the next six years, I would never quite experience that passionate Christianity some of my friends had. I often backslid, repented, and then backslid again never fully grabbing a hold of my new identity and was still overly concerned with the things of the world. I genuinely loved the Lord and wanted to follow him, but I also felt like what Paul describes in Romans 7. For I do not the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. He continues. He says, I never read my Bible. I never prayed. I was more concerned with my life than God's mission. And I constantly struggle with sin. Then, in my first year at Reality Carpinteria, a group of guys laid hands on me and anointed my hand with oil and prayed for the Spirit to come upon me. I can only describe what I felt like as being engulfed by the love of the Father. I broke down in tears. That was seven years ago. From that point on, my life has never been the same. Here is how it changed. First, I increased in holiness. Sins I've been mastered by my whole life, even as a Christian, even as a Christian, were broken immediately. Power. He says, I still sin, but I don't backslide in the same way. Secondly, he says, I experienced a boldness in witness that I didn't know was possible. After that spirit baptism, I took a close college friend I used to party with to Freebirds, this burrito place in IV and testified of what Jesus did in my life, sharing the gospel with him and gave him a Bible study. This was the first time I had ever shared the gospel in six years of being a Christian, but I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. It lasted for two hours. Power, enabling, unction. He continues. Thirdly, I wanted to know God. I had never read the Bible as a Christian, but after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had an insatiable desire for the word. I read it all the way through for the first time that year. It was 2006. And I've read the Bible through six times since then. This was our own Pastor Chris Lazo. That's his story of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and the radical, radical, change that takes place when the Spirit comes upon us, as it did for Peter and the disciples and others. He experienced radical transformation from a, a weak sort of Christianity to a vibrant, fruitful, faithful following of and witness for Jesus. So when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, what happens is we are enabled empowered to live lives that are witnesses for Christ. That's the issue. Witness. And again, witness involves these three things. Exalting Jesus, living a holy life, and being on mission. And the goal of those is always Christ-oriented. That is right and intended Christianity. And getting there is not a matter of trying harder, reading more, stretching further. That's not the issue. The issue is power from God. We were never called to live out the Christian life in our own strength. We were never asked to do that. We've been given the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not you need to try a lot harder. Sacrifice more. Do better. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he sacrificed himself. He did more and has done better so that we are freely given power from on high. That's the good news of the gospel. We must confess and we must know, as is the experience of some of you, that it is possible to have much of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, he is in you. It's not as though he's not doing anything. He's in you working, right, and willing to live according to God's desires. It's possible to have much of the work of the Spirit in your life, but yet come short of the fullness of His work of enabling and empowering through filling, baptism. Take, for example, the story of D.L. Moody, that great famous American evangelist from Chicago who died in 1899. D.L. Moody, by the time I'm speaking of, already had a great ministry, right? He had church and churches in Chicago, The uh, Moody Bible Institute eventually came out of that. Moody Publishing, tons of stuff. He was already doing an incredible work for God. The Spirit was at work in him. But whenever he would have a gathering or a meeting, there were two little ladies that always sat in the front row. There's Moody preaching, and there's these two little ladies sitting in the front row. And their names were Mrs. Snow and Auntie Cook. Those were their names. And whenever Moody's ministering, there's... Auntie Snow or excuse me Auntie Cook and Mrs Snow in the front row and whenever he was done they would come up to Moody with a smile on their face and say we're praying for you <laughs> Every time we're praying for you and whenever he's preaching there they are sitting and smiling and praying and deal, Moody was a, a polite and gracious man so oh thank you thank you thank you and after several times he was slightly perturbed and he said this verbatim Well You're praying for me. Why don't you pray for the people, for the lost, that they get saved? Pray for them, not me. And their reply was, oh, we're praying for you to have the power. That kind of upset Moody's equilibrium. He was afterwards doing some great ministry. But he began to pray about it and think about it. And a short time afterwards, he was in New York en route to London. And he was walking down Wall Street. And after praying about the power, he was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit and overwhelmed with the presence of Christ like he'd never been before. So much so that he ran to a friend's house, knocked on the room and said, you must give me a private spot in your house. And there he laid in the presence of Christ for hours. And then he continued on to London and preached and saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people saved. There was something of the work of the Spirit before, but there was something more to be had. I'm praying that you get the power. He was so convinced of this that later on in his life, he said this, quote, I've lived long enough to know that if I cannot have the power of the Spirit of God on me to help me work for Him, I would rather die than to just live for living's sake. Now, it sounds good, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the the coming upon. What are some of the barriers then to the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is it that not every Christian has experienced this yet? Well, barrier number one is sometimes just God's sovereignty. Sometimes God's just mysterious timing. Why was Cornelius and his household? Why were they baptized in the Spirit at the same time they believed, but the believers in Ephesus weren't and Paul wasn't? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. Number two, sometimes it's just ignorance. It didn't happen, and people just don't know. Like Acts chapter 19, the believers in Ephesus, they said, oh, Paul comes and says, if, were you baptized in the Spirit when you believed? And said, said, we didn't even know there was a Spirit. Number three, this is an important one. Oftentimes a barrier to us being filled in the Holy Spirit is because we have a deep refusal to yield our will to His. We are not willing for our lives to be consecrated for him, set apart for him. We're committed to our own agenda and our own will. The Holy Spirit will never fill you and say, do what you want. He's going to fill you and say, here is what Christ wants. There has to be a willingness to surrender our own will, to be submitted to the will of Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number five, there's often just a refusal to repent of sin because remember what the filling of the Holy Spirit will do is always move us toward holiness. But if there's a refusal to repent of certain sins, then what you're saying in essence is I don't want holiness. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. That can be a barrier in our lives. Number five, there could just be simply a lack of deep conviction of need. And Quite frankly, if you don't endeavor to live a holy life on mission that exalts Jesus, you don't need to be filled in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit. And you might just be satisfied in your truncated, weak Christian experience. That's a barrier. And number six, there could be wrong motive. Jesus said regarding the person of the Holy Spirit, read it in a moment, ask and you will receive. But James the Apostle reminded us in his epistle that sometimes we ask and we do not receive because we ask with wrong motives. Some people are seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit because they're not actually after the life of Christ or after some sort of experience for their life. They're not after seeing Christ exalted. They actually themselves want to be exalted with some display of power. That's a barrier to true filling. So then, what must be done? Number one, let your heart and your mind be consonant with Scripture and recognize your deep and real need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely essential for faithful and fruitful Christian living. Number two, be willing to forsake the sin that is holding you back from a life of holiness. Number three, be willing to surrender your will to God's will. You're not willing to surrender in varying degrees at various times your will to God's will. And there's no need for you to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit who will always lead us in the will of God. Number four, what must be done is simply ask. Simply ask. Here's what Jesus said, Luke chapter 11. He said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and ye will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, Receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You're not going to give him a snake instead of a fish, right? Or if he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion, right? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a good gift. Your father wants to give it to you. Jesus said, you, just, you, you need to ask. Now we have a great amount of confidence from John's epistle, 1 John chapter 5, where he says this about asking in prayer. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request for which we have asked from him. It is God's will that every one of his children are filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a tremendous confidence when we come in faith asking for such. Now, we're going to do that in just a moment. What what will happen? How, How will we know that we've received spirit baptism? Well, the first thing that we must say is we need to know it by faith. The Christian life is one of faith. We receive Jesus by faith. We walk by faith. We receive the Spirit by faith. The Christian life is from beginning to end that of faith, taking God at his word and his character. So when we ask, having dealt with our motives, having dealt with our will issues and our sin issues, having confessed our deep need for it, dealing with the barriers, we come and we ask, it is by faith. Meaning that we must not, we don't have to expect any certain sort of sign. We receive it by faith. But, there just may be some signs. In Pentecost, there was tongues, and this wind, and there was fire, and All kinds of stuff. For the Apostle Paul and the Pastor Chris Lazo, there was immediate, fruitful, missional change. For the believers in Ephesus, there was speaking in tongues and prophesying. We're going to speak about those things in a few weeks. Just don't worry. For the household of Cornelius, there was prophesying tongues and worship in Acts chapter 10. For the believers in Samaria, there was no documented, immediate accompanying sign. So there may be, there may not be our Pentecostal brothers and sisters whom we love deeply and identify with greatly. Some of them say that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will always speak in tongues. And yet Paul said to the church in Corinth, not all speak in tongues, do they? That's a misunderstanding. There may be an accompanying sign of tongues or prophecy or something else. There may not be. As was the case in my life. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was no immediate sign as such. There was an overwhelming, indescribable feeling, such as Chris Lazo talked about, the love of the Father. I was, by God's grace, living at Rincon at the time in a little converted garage there, and I woke up one morning, and I was overwhelmed with the tangible, visceral love of the Father. Beyond description, but warm and beautiful and all-encompassing. I didn't even know it was a baptism of the Holy Spirit until years later. But I do know this. Though there was not an accompanying sign at the time like tongues of prophecy, there was profound change in my life. For it was only a few months later that we started Reality the College Ministry. There was a profound change in mission and who I was living for. Now, Moody had that feeling on Wall Street as he walked down. There was a real feeling there. Charles Finney talks about the feelings he had at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley talks about that strange warming of his heart at Aldersgate in England that he experienced. They're all talking about, along with me, the presence and the joy of God, tangible, visceral, but indescribable. But not everybody is the same. Our default must be that we receive it by faith, whether we feel, hear, or see something or not. That is the Christian life. It is one of faith. We take God at his word. But no matter what we feel or don't feel, see or don't see, if we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, there will be future faithful and fruitful living. Cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not have it bear fruit. Charles Finney, who I just mentioned, who was one of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening, American said this about his experience. Quote, I was powerfully converted on the morning of the month of October, 1822. In the evening of the same day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost. Converted in the morning, baptized in the evening. That went through me as it seemed to me, body and soul, okay, some experience, some feeling, I immediately found myself, here's some fruit, endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. That's not the story of all of us, but I wish it would be. So what we must realize are these few things to close. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is not optional. We are commanded to ask for, seek spirit baptism. It's not a matter of preference. It's not like you could be sitting here today saying, no, I hear you, but I don't want it. It's not optional. It's God's will for every one of his sons and daughters to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a reward. It is the gift, the promise of the Father. If it is a gift, then it is free. And it cannot be worked for or merited or deserved in any manner. It's not received as a reward for X amount of hours of prayer or because of deep sacrifices made. Those things are fine. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a free gift of God's grace provided in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has already made the sacrifice for us to be filled with the Spirit. It's a promise of a loving Father, the loving Father. We don't have to coerce, convince, beg, or cajole Him to give us that which we need and that whom He promised. And tarrying on the Lord, waiting on the Spirit, praying more, surrendering more, those things have to do with the condition of our own hearts, not some reluctance from the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a reward. And baptism with the Holy Spirit is for you. It is not exclusive or hierarchical or the mark of the super spiritual. All believers are told to expect it. It's available immediately. You don't have to wait for some spiritual attainment or maturity or accomplishment. Peter was a denier of Christ. He didn't earn anything anything. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is not something for us to have. It is something to help and to be used for the glory of Jesus Christ. It is not meant to be seen as the height of ecstatic spiritual experience, though those things may accompany it, but rather it is tremendously essential and foundational for our development as faithful, fruitful Christians. So now, Now we're actually going to do the thing, okay? We're not just going to listen to a sermon. We're actually going to do what the Bible says. So we're going to seek the promise of the Father, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me say a couple things. We're not going to do this because we want or need to see some experience. Rather, we're doing this because we want to see Jesus exalted in our existence. We're not going to seek the Spirit baptism for power's sake, but rather that we might be faithful witnesses to the power of the resurrection and the power of the gospel in a world that desperately needs to hear about them. So we read over and over again that the Holy Spirit fell upon people when when they they put hands on each other. So we're going to lay hands on each other. Okay, there'll be a prayer team up here. They're trained, they're ready, filled with the Spirit. If you want them to pray for you, you could come up, they'll lay their hands on you and pray that you be baptized in the Holy Spirit some of you, you're you're familiar with it. That's already happened to you. I want you to go to people around you and say, do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you want me to pray for you? Those of you that don't even, you just don't even know anything other than, man, let's just pray. Start laying your hands on each other. We are the church. This is to be normal Christianity. To not do these things is more abnormal. We should be doing these things, praying for each other for the Holy Spirit. Now, What might happen? Oh, my goodness. Some people might start to speak in tongues. (laughs) Totally biblical. Some people might begin to prophesy. Totally beautiful. Some people might see visions. Some people might have that strange warming of the heart, like Wesley. Or something moving through them, like Finney. Or being overwhelmed with God's presence, like Moody. Others will just joyfully receive it by faith, which is glorious to take Christ at his word and to need nothing more and to ask the Father humbly and receive it by faith. Now, there is still yet some things to be sorted out, which are for next week. Some have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the Bible teaches that we need subsequent, frequent, continual fillings. We'll get to that next week. Some of you are like, oh, I don't even know if I've been baptized or I need to be filled or I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. (laughs) The good news is your father knows what you have need of before you ask him. You can just come to your loving father today and say, father, I want everything you have for me. Nothing more and nothing less. And be full of faith. Be expectant. Allow him to give you that gift. Some of you feel a little bit fearful about all this. You're like, wow, reality's getting creepy. This is crazy, what's going on? (laughs) Which may be the case. But I'll say this, Jesus is our senior pastor and he knows what's perfect for his church, for this church, for his sheep. And he'll lead us beside still waters and into green pastures. He's kind and he's gentle and he's wonderful with us. It doesn't mean he'll always let us be comfortable. He's always moving us into more. Further up, further in. He's always taking us deeper. But we can trust our pastor, our shepherd, Jesus Christ, to manifest the Spirit in a way that's perfect for our church here and at our Carpinteria campus and our Ventura campus. So let's do that. Let's trust him. I'll pray, and then we'll just start to pray for each other. Thank you for your word, God, which is clear, teaches us, it brings us understanding. Thank you for your spirit, God, who is a teacher of all things, who leads us in truth, and exalts Christ in our midst. We would say together now, having studied your word, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We say that Jesus, we trust you as our senior pastor, our chief shepherd. We say, Father, we trust you as our loving Father who wants to give us good gifts. We ask in all humility, in a way that would bring you glory, that you would pour out the Holy Spirit upon us without measure. You know what we have need of. You know what you're calling us to. We know we need to be filled with the Spirit continually. So Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Prayer team is here, but you guys can and should pray also.